Adventures cast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Oh, hey guys, I got a letter from Coach. He's in Ohio. What's he doing in Ohio? Uh, family reunion. Yeah, some pictures in there of him with everybody. Oh. Let me see. Whoa, hey, that's that's a very attractive family there, Sam. But uh, how come everybody but the coach is black? What? No, that's that's not his family. He was sent an invitation by mistake. He didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings by not showing up. Well, looks like they've accepted him. Oh, are you kidding? He's been going for the last six or seven years. In fact, I think next year they're gonna have it at his place. Anyway, it says here. Uh, oh yeah. Send my love to everybody. Cheers. And he signs it, Uncle Whitey. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me once again, the host of Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Please welcome Al Sedano back to the virtual bar. What's up, Al? Hey, Ryan! <laughs> thank you, thank you. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Uh, we, the, the listeners will be hearing us uh, in the middle of January, but uh, right now we're we're in the midst of the holiday season. So, how's it going on your end? Oh, it's fine. We're actually getting somewhat cold, you know, in the 40s and 50s occasionally. So, you know, for Florida, that's freezing. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ice, the ice cream man only comes once a day. It's, it's insanity. Winter. It's crazy. That's that's unconscionable. Yeah. yeah, it's the change of the seasons. It happens. <laughs> For the rest of us, it certainly does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, folks. Uh, Al is back to talk about season three, episode nineteen, "Behind Every Great Man." This episode is written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, February twenty first, nineteen eighty five. A reporter named Paula Nelson comes to Cheers while researching an article on the singles scene in Boston bars. After failing to secure a quote from a tongue-tied cliff, Paula meets Sam, who hits on her so blatantly and shamelessly that she decides to leave. Desperate to not strike out in front of the guys, Sam manages to utter a halfway decent quote about singles bars that Paula can use. A quote that Sam remembers Diane saying... Days later, Sam has continued to see Paula, but relies on past and present factoids about art, literature, and culture from Diane, passing them off as his own. Diane is impressed by Sam's newfound interest in the arts, not knowing that it's all so he can get a different woman in bed. Meanwhile, Frazier and Diane are fighting because he's leaving town for yet another psychiatric conference, but he grows suspicious when he witnesses Sam's interest in Impressionist art, believing that Sam is trying to win Diane back. Diane thinks Frazier is being ridiculous, until she overhears Sam and Carla talking about Sam's desire for Paula, but misinterprets his comments as being about Diane. 
After Sam books a romantic weekend away with Paula, he asks Diane if she can cover the bar while he's away, but once again, she misunderstands his request, thinking he's asking her to go away. That night, both Paula and Diane show up to Cheers with luggage for their trip. They talk, amused by the similarity in their weekend plans, until it becomes clear that they're both waiting for the same man. At that point, Sam arrives to pick up Paula. Diane scrambles to cover her embarrassing misunderstanding, even handing her luggage off to the old barfly Al when Sam notices it. After Sam leaves, Diane gets her clothes back from Al after slapping his hands away, which to him, at least, was still the best action he had since 1958. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Gotta love him. <laughs> Alright, Al, what did you think about this episode? I'm amused by the Three's Company of it all, mm-hmm. but Three's Company of a twist, because you have the big misunderstanding, but unlike regular Three's Company, where it doesn't get resolved until the end when everyone is involved, you know, basically crashes into each other, metaphorically, Diane actually figures it out right before Sam comes in. Like, you can see the light bulb moment, <laughs> where she, it's like, oh, oh. It's just great that, that, and I love that because it's yeah. Then there's that. It's that sheer moment of panic when she has to yes. realize that she has to cover this. She can't possibly let him think that she thought that he exactly. wanted her back, and that she, and that, she that, that she was willing to go with him. That she was willing yeah. to forsake her relationship with Fraser at that point. Well, this is a big episode for the season in that we're now we've gone from they are not involved with each other and they don't care to now we're getting back to, well, they're around each other and it's going to cause problems. Yeah. Yeah. And it's starting here. Yeah. And this keep will, on going. Yeah. This, this will basically set the tone for the rest of the season in terms yeah. of their relationship. Um, because we really haven't had much of a hint that they want to do, they want anything to do with each other. But here we see without very much effort, it seems, you know, Diane could be swayed. I mean, she's, they, they, they set it up enough that she's fighting with Frazier about something else and he's out of town and she would be willing to risk it. <laughs> Actually, I love the way we're getting right to the very end of it. But uh, one of my favorite lines was when she's talking to Paula and she says, I could be making a huge mistake. You know, I'm seeing this eminent psychologist and Paula goes, oh, me too. Is it helping? <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, looking back, you can see, like, like the line says, you know, they doth protest too much, Mm -hmm. is that you can see going throughout the season, they've been pushing it down and being like, no, I'm so, I mean, what's that one episode where they're saying how how little they care for each other, they can be sleeping naked in the same bed and it would have been nothing? (laughs) Yes, yes. And they keep one-upping each other, yeah. Exactly. It's like, yeah, those are not two people who have no interest in each other whatsoever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But now we're finally getting to something happening. And it yep. starts with Diane. Jump. I mean, what you could see early on, I mean, like when she has that fight with Frazier, but then Sam comes out and he wants interest in the arts. And it's like, have you not learned anything from your time three years here <laughs> that you think he really just all of a sudden magically is interested in the arts just because it's like, no, no, it's because you wanted to believe the best because it's Sam. Right, right. And- Frazier, you're going to be mad at, but Sam is like, oh, oh, maybe he's interested now. And, and you got to wonder if it ever would have occurred to Diane if it didn't occur to Fraser first. If maybe he un- unwittingly like planted the bug into her ear. 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I love the way. He, I love the way. He, like he's in the middle of talking, but he's say, re, like reading some sentence, and he's just like, "Oh, what the hell was that?" Like yeah. after it takes him like this delayed reaction to see him is asking an impression about some painter Javernet or something like that. And, and she just tells him, "He's like, I would love it. What the hell was that? Yeah. That was great." Frazier sets up a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, yeah. Sam's not trying to win her back. But now he's but he's but he's been unconsciously winning her back by not trying. Right, right. And I love it when like Frazier's just like hmm, and Diane's like hmm, what? And he's like hmm, suspicious. I just love that back and forth. Uh, he's um, great this episode. I mean, he only gets like what two minutes? Oh yeah, yeah, very yeah that one little scene. But um, all right, let, let's let's go let's go take this one from the top. Kind of we're going okay. all over the yeah. place, but um, the. T- teaser we get for this one uh sam is pouring a beer for norm and the keg runs dry and it has to be replaced and of course the gang holds this military style funeral for the keg as, as sam is putting it on the cart and wheeling it away uh they actually they they, they sing slash hum the theme of taps you know for this military yeah. funeral and um, sam asks do we have to do this Every time, <laughs> every time, it's like we don't have to say him. It's an honor and a privilege. Um, and and the the tertiary barfly named Larry, who's actually got he's he's got quite a few appearances this season. But he shouts out, you know, the king, the keg is dead. Long live the keg. Uh, and and that's when Normie starts tearing up because when they bring out the second, when Sam brings out the second keg on the cart, that's when they all raise their glasses and they sing "Hail to the Chief" or <laughs> "Hail to the Keg." So. Until Norm tears up about it. Yeah, yeah. He swore it wouldn't happen this time, but... <laughs> he couldn't help himself. It's funny, this is the one thing in this episode that does have to do with the main plot, because there really is no B or C or any other plot. Everything has to do with the main plot, except for the teaser. Yeah. The only thing that it doesn't evolve it. Every, the Diane-Sam fight, anything with Norman Cliff, it all ties in to the whole thing. It's yeah, that's one of those teasers impressive. where they could have slotted it in on any episode, yeah. Um, once the episode kicks off, we get our our latest explanation for Coach's absence. Of course, by this point, this is now two weeks after Ernie Pantuso has passed away. Well, not the character, sorry, Nikki Calasanto, the actor, has passed yeah, away. He's still going to be. They still have episodes he's filmed, I believe. Right. 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 He. Yeah. He'll be in two more episodes throughout the remainder of the season. Um, yeah, that was the one thing I was disappointed about this episode. And I remember doing a re- I've been rewatching the season recently, and I remember getting to these like one or two in a row. I'm like, oh no, are we at the point there's no more coach. Yeah, yeah, no, he, so he 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 will comes back because they they filmed a couple of these out of order, out of sequence. Um, which, funnily enough, I I think the next episode where he's in, I think they filmed it earlier, not for him, but actually because of Shelley Long's pregnancy, and they really just they needed to kind of get her out of the way before it was, before they couldn't hide it anymore but for this one i actually as as tragic and as unfortunate as the fact that they needed to come up with an excuse for him not to be there i i do love this oh, part, I, the, yeah. the reason for this one uh you know because in the previous episode of this he had to go to vermont for his driver's test this time coaches in ohio at a family reunion and he's like Sam is like reading like the postcard of the letter that he sent with his picture, and he shows it to Carla and Cliff. And Cliff notices he's like, "That's a that's a handsome looking family, but how come everyone except for Coach is black?" <laughs> and, and Sam has to explain that it's not obviously it's not Coach's real family. He got sent this invitation by mistake, but being Coach, he didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings, so he still went there anyway. 
And then you just, like, Carla is like, wow, it really seems like they've taken to him. And Sam is like, oh, are you kidding? He's been going there for six or seven years. Six years. <laughs> and just so, so, everyone loves Coach. Exactly, exactly. There's nothing, and he loves everybody. Yeah, exactly. You, he, you can imagine he just showed up at this family reunion, and they just took him in because you can't, you gotta love this guy. And, and it's like, they're like, at the end of it, they're like, all right, you're coming back next year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he said, of course. Yeah, he's like, didn't want to be rude about it. Of course he'd come back. So, And then he signs the letter to say I'm Uncle Whitey. That's what they call him. <laughs> you know, that's what all the kids call him. I love it. For, for some reason, there's a couple episodes of the season, like a couple little bits about this, but I remember my dad always thinking this was one of the funniest gags when we would watch the, this show or the, probably in reruns. He always loved that whole gag that, that Coach went to a family reunion for an entire black family, and he's the one guy, and they just start calling him Uncle Whitey. Um, <laughs> I want to watch that episode. Yeah. Watching this one again, though, kind of with the, the full context in mind, I was really looking at Ted Danson as he's giving these lines, and I couldn't help but notice, maybe it's reading into it, it seems like Ted Danson is a little bit down and a little bit somber mm-hmm. as he's doing these lines. Like he doesn't, for as funny as this moment is, it it doesn't feel like they're as jokey as they would be. And it might just be because it's so raw, like they, they did this very it's soon just, after they got the news. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the rough thing. Because I'm trying to remember if they ever how much they really get into him passing away because they I'd only actually watched the end of the season so they, they don't yet. they don't even acknowledge it until season four um okay. it's one of the things i wish they would have done differently and i think it i don't know if it would have hijacked their plans for the season but it's a thing also of the time yeah you know they wouldn't do too much about that i mean i mean i'm surprised they didn't just say he left and that's it or not mention him yeah the yeah. fact that they'll actually mention it is pretty impressive for the time. I mean, now it would have been a big episode right after it happened. Right, right. They would have, but yeah, yeah, a tribute because, or something. But yeah, they, yeah, they would have had like a, a funeral or a memorial episode for it, and yeah, it would have been rough. But oh well. Anyway, um, so then the the plot really kicks off because then we get uh, Paula Nelson. This reporter comes in. Paula, played by the actress Allison Laplaca, and I don't know what it is, but. She has got this super familiar play, and I've seen her, but like as soon as I saw her in this episode, I was like, oh, I've seen her in everything. But she, like, like it, it wasn't as much as I thought when I was looking her up on IMDb. Like, she had a few little guest spots in, like, in the movie Fletch, and she was like, she starred in shows like Open House and the John Larroquette Quet show, but I didn't really watch those that much. Um, but she had like guest appearances and everything, like ER, Grey's Anatomy, Family Ties, Friends, all of those things. But it just, for me, I look at her and I was like, oh, I think she's like the quintessential 80s actress, but I didn't, like, there wasn't that much from her IMDb resume that I was that familiar with. So it just, I don't know what it is. Well, the same thing. I mean, I haven't really seen, I'm, I'm looking through it all now. I've really seen everything she's been in, but I know, for instance, Friends, yeah. even though she's only three episodes, she's pretty prominent in all yeah. three episodes. She's Rachel's boss. Oh, yeah, okay. And she's I think I she's the one that sleeps with Chandler and handcuffs him <laughs> to her office. <laughs> So, I mean, while she's not – she's only in three, but she's pretty prominent in the three she's in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you've watched that show, and especially on reruns, you're going to see those episodes a bunch. So it kind of feels – because I almost thought she was in more. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I really remember her from. Yeah. She like also – she, 
she uh, she did the voice of Baby Doll in Batman the Animated Series. So that's a yeah, nice credit thing for her. Yeah. And also Johnny Bravo. She was an episode. Oh, was she? Nice. Yeah, one episode. Lois. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so she comes in and she buys Norma beer. Uh, actually, this part I know Sam pours Norma beer when he first comes in, and he's talking about the hungry heifer and everything. Again. Yeah. And then Sam leaves, and she comes in, and she offers to buy Norman Cliff a beer. Norm still has his, like, three-quarters of the way full, and Carla pours him another one. And then when Carla shoes Norman Cliff away so she can talk to her, Norm walks off with both beers, almost both of them full, in, like, one in each hand. Oh, it's a better day for him. Yeah. Yeah. And more the Hungry Heifer, which always makes me think of the movie Critters too. Oh, <laughs> if you remember, because they have that one scene in that restaurant, the Hungry Heifer there, where you, they keep playing the theme song over and over. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. And of course, you know, Cliffy is Cliffy is tongue tied, which leads to one of my favorite, possibly my home run of the whole episode. Um, but he's tongue tied; he can't get anything out. You know, he's just making a boob of himself. And then after he and Norm kind of walk to the other side of the bar, <laughs> Cliff does this whole. He's like, "It's a good thing she identified herself as a reporter, or she would have been the next notch on Doctor Feelgood, or she would have been Doctor Feelgood's next patient." And he does this whole little dance thing, like shaking his arms. It's this really crazy <laughs> thing. And Norm was like, "How long did it take you to create this little world you live in?" <laughs> I, I do, yeah. Now that's a good one because it reminds me of a, another line from a future episode. That's one of my favorites. That's Fraser talking about <laughs> what color is the sky? The in sky your in world? your world. <laughs> that's good. I've used that for years with people. Like, what color is the sky in your world? <laughs> I love that line too. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so yeah, so once Sam comes in and it's just like cheesy pickup line after cheesy pickup line and, and she's, she's heard them all, but I do like it when she says, what would you say is the major allure of this bar for the singles crowd? And he goes, you're gazing hungrily at him, honey. (laughs) But the best part of that is not just him hitting a hundred percent relentlessly. It's Norman Cliff at the other side of the bar treating this like they're at a sporting event. (laughs) Yeah. He's got a whiff on this one. No, no, come on, pull it out, babe, pull it out, come on, you can do it. <laughs> They're rooting for him. It's like, it's like, come on, you got this one, you got this one, dig in deep. Yeah. Uh, and when he, when he says, he'll answer her question, but first he's got one of his own, do you think it's possible to satisfy a woman too much? <laughs> oh, God. And that's the point when she's like, okay, this is where I'm terminating this interview. This is not, I, I don't know where I am. Um. And then he pulls it out by, by pretending, oh, what, you thought I was serious? Right, right. No, that's just the lame stuff. People stay here. Yeah. And he, he, he ends up coming, pull, pulling out the line. He's like, you know, if it weren't for all the people who say they'd never go to singles bars, singles bars would be out of business. Which, eh, okay, it's a, it's a decent line, but it's impressive enough yeah. for her. She starts to write down. And I love it how Normie's like out of the corner of his mouth. He's like, didn't Diane used to say that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As Carla said, you say everything, eventually you're going to say something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so then, based on that, um, like Sam is able to basically fin- to, to get Paula upstairs to Melville's for, for Booyah Bays or something. Uh, and as they're walking up, he says, 
he's like, you know, I hear it's an aphrodisiac, but when I'm around, even oxygen's an aphrodisiac. And then as soon as she starts turning around, he's like, I, I can't believe you're not writing down these impossibly crude come-ons. He's, he can't he's like, stop himself. He can't, he can't, but he has he has enough self-awareness to know that he has to be, he has to pretend like these, these are just jokes and everything so he can correct it. So And then as they go upstairs, Norman Cliff try and fail to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. Their win. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a win for the home team. It's for Sam, yeah. Except they can't actually do a high five. Right. They don't the co- they don't even have the coordination for that. Yeah. So, we come to at some point sometime later uh, Sam is basically trying to plumb and every all the knowledge he ever got from Diane about these artists, and he, he asked the crowd. He's like, "Does anyone remember anything Diane said about impressionism?" And Carla's like, "No, but I know she makes a bad first one, and after that, it gets worse." Yes. Yeah. So, um, I I do like when they're asking Sam like why he's so like why he's working so hard to get this one like why why is she so important and he goes through this whole this whole routine like why he has to explain it and he's like all right this is a little embarrassing he's like but I never had a reporter before and they're like that can't be true and he's like, okay I'm a magazine reporter and they're still like that's not that can't be true he's like well from the Boston area okay with a circulation of over a million. Lately, <laughs> so it had to it had to go through this whole thing. But Carla is more accurate there. He wants the ones he can't have. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember uh, when Coach was getting married? Yeah, yeah. He wants what he can't have. Mm-hmm. Which actually, that I, I found myself like this is another one of those episodes because my first question was, why is Carla so opposed to this? Carla knows that this woman isn't another Diane. They're, they're not the same. So why is why is Carla? basically trying to shoot Sam down and, and get, like, trying to convince him to give up on this charade the whole time. And this is just another one of those where I think Carla doesn't want... Carla, Carla the one thing that she is threatened by, I think, is women who challenge Sam. Yes. Because Carla, yes. As, as I have said over and over, and I keep making the case, Carla wants to be the most important woman in Sam's life. Even though they'll never, nothing romantic or sexual will ever happen between them. Carla wants to be... be Carla wants to be the alpha woman in his life. So all the other women that he dates have to be these dumb, you know, hot bimbos that are good for one night or a good time or something, but nothing serious will ever happen to him. Yeah, well, because if he's just picking them up and it works and he goes, then he's just going to pick up another one and it doesn't matter. But when he spends this much time on one, he's actually going to spend plenty of time with them. Now it becomes a relationship. Right. Even if it's not Diane. Right. It's a relationship. It's serious, right? And that's threatening to her, right? And I do, I do think part of it. Is she has an anti-intellectual bias too, but I think that's also reinforced or, or built into the fact that she doesn't want women to challenge Sam to grow. That something that he will make himself better because that just that increases like, the chances of, of as like you she said, says, yeah. Then it's she's one of, you're one of us, the great unwashed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love the way she says that. Yeah, yeah. And so then Fraser yeah. shows up. Yeah, then Fraser shows up as we say. Oh, and this time he's going to a fetish seminar. Which, oh, that was great. Which, but that's not the problem. I, I like how they throw it out there because you think that's going to be the issue. Mm-hmm. That she's going to be complaining about the fetishness or the, the sexiness or whatever it is. But no, it's just the fact that he's going to another seminar and he was so rude. He waited till the kiwi tarts <laughs> and the demitasse before he said anything. <laughs> So yeah, so there. So 
then they're fighting, and as we said, what, what did she say? You're, sound, you're starting to sound like a broken record. And he's like, oh, now you're saying that I'm redundant, that I repeat myself, that I say things over and over. <laughs> yeah. And once she like throws it down, she's like, there's nothing going on between me and Sam. You're being stupid. No, he writes down the, the number of whatever hotel he's staying at, and she picks it up, crumples it, and just throws it on the floor. And, and Frazier, Kelsey Grammer does this, you'll rue the day you did that. And all I'm thinking, like, when he says that, I'm like, is he auditioning for Sideshow Bob already? That's still years yeah. away. <laughs> I know. The show hasn't even started yet. Yeah. Let alone the Sideshow Bob episodes. But yeah, that's, that's like six years away. <laughs> yeah, I was wonder if that's what they th- they saw that were like, Ooh, that's good. That could be. That could, yeah. I wonder if that was the impetus for Sideshow Bob's character. Maybe, maybe. And then he leaves and she feels a little regretful. But you, that's you, – I've seen that with people with uh, – you know, men, I mean men and women. Obviously here it's a woman. But they're almost like trying to find a reason to go to the other person. Mm-hmm. She's picking the fight that doesn't have to really be a fight because it makes it easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then that's when she bends over and she, she's bending down to pick up the, the number and that's when Sam and Carla walk out and they start talking about how much Sam is willing to work at, at to get this girl, uh, how much, you know, like he, he's willing to change and everything and, and Carla thinks it's, you know, it's a dumb idea and he'll screw it up again. And they're talking about Paula and Diane doesn't realize that, so she gets the wrong impression. Um, and then once we come back for Act 2, Norm comes back, having gone to the Hungry Heifer again, but this time bringing Cliffy with him. <laughs> and, of course, they walk in, and they they come in together, and Norm says, Afternoon, everybody, and Norm gets the Norm treatment, and Cliff just kind of stands there at the doorway, and he's like, Hey, good afternoon, everybody. And he's met with silence. Yeah, no one even notices. Yeah. And he's just like, All right, I had to check. <laughs> he's like, I guess that's that's how it is, so... Worth a shot. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, they had their stuff at the Hungry Heifer. Oh, this I love this bit so much. <laughs> this is that, another one. That the end my, of this might be my home run. Yeah, my, <laughs> my yeah, my family used to talk about this one a little bit, but yeah. Then Diane is in the back office when she overhears Sam making the the phone call about the get, uh, getting this this in that he went to with with Diane in the past, um, and then. Sam goes to to Carla and she's like, you know, who are you going to have cover the bar? And he's, he realizes he'll have to ask Diane, but the last time it was a mess. So when he asks Diane if she can take care of the bar, he's very apologetic and kind of pussyfooting around it. And she, you know, he never mentions to covering the bar, so she thinks that he's going to ask her to go away, and she's kind of like nervous and apprehensive about it. And it, so it just like yeah, it, the whole thing just fuels this this misunderstanding. And the best is the, the the things that Diane doesn't get because he thinks they're talking about the bar. So, you know, he says, well, at least now you'll know where everything is. Yeah. Well, I yeah. guess you're right. But the yeah. best part of this conversation is the end when she's walking away and she's gone up, starting upstairs. He says, don't worry. If you break anything, I'm fully insured. <laughs> yeah. And she just bends down with this look of what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, because cause at first he's like, like, look, he's like, I know the last time we tried this, it didn't turn out that well, but I'm, I'm going to take full responsibility for that. She's like, you do? And he's like, look, you know, you have a couple of, it's like, after the first couple of drinks, I think you're going to get in the spirit of it, and you might even have fun. And she's like, well, I'm not, I will, I'll admit, it does help. So, yeah. And then, of course, she comes back at the same time Paula does. They both have their their getaway, their weekend luggage and everything of like that. Of course. They both show up there at the exact same – well, I mean, to be fair, they're supposed to meet him at three, so. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, so they got Makes that. Sense. And they're just joking. She's waiting for this guy. She's going away with him for the first time. She thinks he might be a big jerk, big dumb jerk, but he says smart things. And Diane's like, well, you're lucky because I know mine is a big dumb jerk. Um, and then, yeah, and then just before long, they kind of realize that they, they, what is that? I don't even remember what the giveaway is. Yeah. Oh, the, the coast, oh. Of, uh, in on the coast of Maine. Yeah. They're going to an in on the coast of Maine. And then, yeah, that's when you see it kind of like clicks for Diane at yeah. this moment. Paula, of, not yet. Cause she's not used to this all, but Diane is, they've been there. Now things are finally clicking for her. Right. Right. And then, oh, and then yeah. When Sam walks in and Diane just has to kind of like lean a kind of across the bar to kind of ho- to hopefully like remain nonchalant and hide her bag and everything. And and then he's like, "Yeah, you got everything." He's like, "Carla knows where to find me if you get in trouble." And then he's like, "Is that?" He's like, "What's with the suitcase?" She's like, "Oh, that's not mine." He's like, "It looks like yours." And then of course, Al just happens to be walking by and she runs over to give it to him. She's like, "Don't forget your luggage." And he's like, "Oh, it'll never happen again." <laughs> He just plays along with anything. Although, now, I don't know if this is just him making sure he did it on time or not, but I just rewatched it, like, a few minutes mm-hmm. ago. And if you look at him, he's looking over at them. Oh, like, He's yeah, at I... the bar, and he's looking over, paying attention to what they're doing, and then he gets up and goes. Yeah. Now, that could just be the actor going, okay, now it's my turn to get up. Or you could play along that Al's covering for her. He <laughs> could be. But he was, was he was still taking the chance to go through her stuff. <laughs> he was because by the time Sam walks out, like, she goes back to her luggage. And he's got the luggage open, and he's like pawing over her clothes, and she's slapping his hands away. So, <laughs> and yeah, the last one still has the best action I've had since 1958 or something. Oh, Al! Yeah, he is so much fun. Yeah. Uh, for uh, for trivia factoid, it's a little known fact. This episode originally aired on the day that Kelsey Grammer turned thirty years old, which means he was twenty nine when he started this show. Wow! Yeah, and he would be Frasier to his like almost fifty. <laughs> I mean, if they end up doing a reunion special, who knows? <laughs> He'll never stop. Yeah, but, yeah, because yeah, because he basically did it for twenty twenty years uninterrupted. So. Yeah, talk about a career-defining role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, this is it's it's funny. Like I I I don't really think about this one, but this is and it's not. It doesn't have as many haha jokes, but it is a very funny, very just like pleasant episode. It's just really fun to watch. Some great jokes, some great timing. Um, I, I like a lot this of one a lot. Humor. Yeah, yeah, there is more. Yeah. Uh, for Norm's tab, Norm actually had five beers this time, which brings him up to 260 for the series now. Oof. Uh, who did you have for the employee of the week? I was thinking about it. I, I've got it, especially like I said just now about the physical comedy. It has to be Diane. Mm-hmm. I mean, for Ted Danson, he gets to fall back a bit on doing the Sam hitting on people thing, which by now he's probably used to. He's ha- I'm sure he has that acting down because it's happened plenty of times. But we get to see Diane doing all kinds of emotions just from her face. Yeah. From the surprise that she thinks when she learns, quote, well, quote, unquote, learns that Sam is interested to her, to that look of elation when she comes out from behind the uh, the back of the office when Sam made the uh, reservation. And her confusion at that conversation with Sam, like I said, I'm fully insured. <laughs> and then that whole almost screwball comedy-esque, like, covering up of, like, Leaning out, you know, kicking the suitcase away, leaning over it. What? This suitcase? No. And then at the end, coming back and just slapping the hell out of Al. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have to give it to her. She had to put a, put plenty of physical work in this episode. 
I, I did too. I also gave it to Diane, which surprised me because she's not in the beginning of the like she doesn't come in until like you know the the second part of the first act, uh, and, and it's pretty slow burn like revealing her. Like I I don't think she comes in until like eight nine minutes into the episode. Yeah, it's um, all the whole setup of Pola. Yeah, yeah. And so it take, kind of takes a while for her to get in. But then you're right. Like once we get to the second act, when there's the whole the confusion and and her suspicions and everything like that, so much of it is just. I mean, the dialogue is great, but also just like her physical mannerisms and where her face goes with these miscommunications and like as you said, the the elation, the suspicion, the confusion, and then the the desperation at the very end, um, yeah, where where she goes that range is just incredible, and, and for for a small amount of time. Yeah, because like I said earlier, it's a threes company thing. Except I just realized something. Usually, in those kind of things, everyone is miscommunicating. Right. She's the only one. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else knows exactly what they're talking about and what and what they're talking about is correct. She's the only one doing this. Yep. Yep. Which and means, so she's doing it all on her own. Which which means if she gets exposed, it's all on her. <laughs> like all of the exactly. shame, all of the humiliation. It all falls on her and that's why she has to hide it at the end. And she can't <laughs> let Sam ever know. Yeah. No. Uh, okay, so getting to the home runs. Actually, the the first one that jumped out at me is very early on in the episode. It's when Paula first walks in and she's introducing herself to to Norman Cliff, and Cliff is like, and he's like trying to talk and everything. And she turns to Norman, and say, "May I buy you and your immigrant friend a beer?" <laughs> I just I love that line, the way she says it. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, and and like the one you said earlier, um, the what's it, the sideshow Bob line, that was good too. Yeah, that was, I'll rue the day. Yeah, so you'll rue the day. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think you're, the the whole the bit with Cliffy, his first time in the hungry heifer, might be the best for. So yeah, so <laughs> Norm takes him there, and Cliff had the ton of T bone, which <laughs> she's like, I don't know why you're complaining about it. for less than four dollars. It included 24 ounces of USDA choice beef. <laughs> you mean beef? It's like he's like beef. What are you crazy? That stuff is beef. Norm explains it's a a hungry heifer trademark for a some kind of processed synthetic, I don't know, meat like substance. He's like, and, 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 yeah, the line where Norm says, "What? You don't see me complain about the loopster?" <laughs> That's so good. And you see, like, like Cliffy's feeling like nauseous, like he's like when he's hearing Beth, like synthetic meat, like substance, like he's gonna be sick. He's like, oh man. And yeah, Norm is like, why? What's wrong with you? What do you expect for less than four dollars? You hear me complain about the lubester? <laughs> and the funny thing is, now that's not so weird. No, oh, no. Yeah. The weird thing is actually, it's like that was less expensive. That's usually more expensive. We were, we were looking at we ordered from Cadoba earlier tonight, like for like uh, burritos, and their impossible meat is like one of the you know costs more than most of the other actual meats. Probably yeah, okay, yeah. Now you're thinking about it, yeah. So that's kind of funny, actually. It's like it's completely opposite now. It's not completely disgusting to most people, and it costs more. <laughs> It'd be cheaper. The hungry heifer would be cheaper now to have actual beef. Although I, I have to imagine the process by which Cadoba secures their. Um, more legal, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've probably gone through more health code standards and tests and things like that. They're um, more above board. Yeah, <laughs> than, than uh, a restaurant in the early eighties. Then probably. So. It's, it's yeah. probably nuclear nuclear uh, side product. Ah, <laughs> oh, Beth. 
University of Choice Beth. All right, Al. Um, yeah, I, I, I like this episode, so thank you for, for helping me talk about this one. Oh, this it was a fun one. Like I said, when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, this is – like you said, it's not the big ha-ha jokes, but it's just pretty damn funny throughout the whole way. You don't mm. really stop at least giggling. Yeah. It's not actually laughing throughout the whole way, so it's good. Where else can people find you if they want to hear more from you in the uh, podcastosphere? Uh, the main place to find me is my show, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. It's, well, about the Marvel characters, Adam Warlock and Thanos. It's right there in the title. So all you have to do is, you, you're interested in that, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in your podcatcher and you'll find something. And also you can find me every week. Um, go to the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, and I'm on the spinoff podcast, L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast, which is about DC's late 80s, early 90s uh, sci-fi series, Legion. All right. Thank you once again, Al. And thank you to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, and Ashford Wright from the Right On Network who sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. You know, I always say that uh, if it wasn't for all the people who say they never come to singles bars, singles bars would be out of business. Diane, you should say that. When you talk all the time, you're bound to say everything eventually. <laughs> it's yeah. almost usable. Well, there's more where that came from. As I tell you, why don't we go up to Melville's? I'll share some of my thoughts on the singles phenomenon, and we'll have a bowl of bouillabaisse, huh? Mr. Malone, is this another come on? Are you plying me with fish heads? No, no, <laughs> No, I promise. We'll just talk about the article, okay? I do love bouillabaisse. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear it's an aphrodisiac. But then again, when I'm around, even oxygen is an aphrodisiac. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're not writing down these impossibly crude come-ons. No, Paula, I think probably the hardest part of my job is the daily face-to-face encounter with loneliness.